0: folks, welcome back to The Fearless Fly. This is episode 17. My name's Grant and with me is James. How are you, James? Yeah, not too bad. Had a long
1: day, but I'm looking forward to doing a uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, so this one's going to be on depressurization and we're going to have a chat about the oxygen masks. In the last episode, we talked about the air conditioning system and we talked about the HEPA filters. Through which cabin air is partially recycled. And we have finished up just discussing briefly the pressurization system.
1: A quick recap uh, then on the pressurization system the fuselage or cabin where we sit is pressurized to a higher air pressure than outside of the cabin during flight. The air conditioning system pumps air into the fuselage, and the outflow valves control the rate at which this air flows out of the aircraft's cabin which in turn means we can keep the air pressure in the cabin at a higher pressure than the outside.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary there, James. That's good. So in this episode, we'll have a chat about why we as humans need the cabin pressurization. And we'll look at what happens in the unlikely event of a depressurization and the safety systems in place to help us deal with this unlikely event. So do you want to have a go at telling our fearless listeners why we need pressurization, James? Yeah, so it's all about our lungs.
1: Because when we're on the ground, where most humans are, when you breathe in, the atmospheric pressure forces oxygen through the membranes of your lungs. And this puts the oxygen into your bloodstream. And then as we get higher, the atmospheric pressure decreases. As a result, the amount of oxygen forced into your bloodstream also decreases. Incidentally, on that note, the percentage of oxygen does not change as we get higher. It's around 21 percent, but at an altitude of approximately 18,000 feet, the atmospheric pressure is around half of what it is at sea level. So the ratio of oxygen is the same, but there is less of it and the pressure is also less.
0: Yeah, that's a good summary there, James. So obviously there comes a point where there isn't enough pressure in the air to get oxygen across our lung membranes and into our bloodstream. The medical professionals in this area have deemed that once we go above 10,000 feet or roughly 3,000 meters, the air pressure drops off significantly and there starts to be a few physiological problems that only get worse as we get higher. There are four main conditions associated with us humans getting less oxygen due to going higher, and they are hypoxia, altitude sickness, decompression sickness, and barotrauma. So let's have a chat about them now. The first one I mentioned is hypoxia, and it's the most significant and common of these conditions. And it occurs because of the lower partial pressure of oxygen that occurs at higher altitudes. Basically, the oxygen going into your lungs at altitude, it doesn't have enough pressure to cross the lung membranes, and therefore it can't oxygenate your bloodstream effectively. And the symptoms can be quite different, but some of them are like being confused. You can get a change in behavior, a loss of coordination, a bluish discoloration in the lips or fingernails, sometimes a shortness of breath and difficulty in breathing. You can get a tingling sensation or dullness sensation at the extremities, visual disturbance like a double vision. You can over breathe. You may become unconscious. But the best one of all you can actually become euphoric which is a feeling of excitement or exhilaration It's similar to a state of uh, intoxication so we've listed all these conditions as signs and symptoms of hypoxia and they are wide and they're varied and they affect everyone differently however the treatment is the same and it's simply to administer supplemental oxygen out of curiosity most passengers can function Well, at a cabin altitude of around 8,000 feet, despite the fact there is 25% less oxygen at this altitude. I mean,
1: doing heavy exercise such as going for a run around the cabin would probably not be recommended at...
0: That's 8,000 feet. They would be just sitting down there watching a program or relaxing or reading a book or something, yeah. So the next one you listed in the uh, sort of introduction is altitude sickness.
1: This is generally associated with mountain climbers when they've climbed up too quickly. And you may, from climbing up too quickly in this instance, get a variety of symptoms associated with hypoxia because the cause is the same. It's just the lack of oxygen in your bloodstream. Therefore, oxygen or descending for climbers fixes this issue. And the way to avoid this is through a process called acclimatization, where they follow this process by doing mountains and stages, such as you have on like Mount Everest, you have the different camps where they reacclimatize the different altitudes so that they go up.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. That's quite good, isn't it? They go up and then they come back down, they go up. And Yeah, it takes quite a process, doesn't it? Yeah, so that avoids altitude sickness. Uh, do you want to have a chat about decompression sickness? Yeah, so decompression sickness is really rare. And it's the same thing that divers
1: get. So that's why they say don't fly after going diving because it's just, it's not a good idea.
0: Yeah, it's exacerbating. I'd take it coming up from the depths. It just makes it worse. Yeah, good point. The last one, trauma, I'm sure everyone has had at some stage, and this occurs as the aircraft either climbs or descends, and it's a result of gases being trapped in parts of the body whereby they can't escape due to the expansion or contraction. The pain can be quite acute, and it's most common in the sinuses around the upper nose area. The best way to alleviate this is to put your head back and close your mouth, hold your nose, and just gently blow. So this helps open up the eustachian tube between the back of your throat going into your inner ear and can help equalize that pressure. It's worth mentioning here an issue associated with nervous flyers, and that is hyperventilation. And hyperventilation is basically the opposite of hypoxia. And it can occur if you're nervous, you're anxious, or if you're stressed. Basically, you end up over-breathing, and what this does is it changes the chemical balance in your bloodstream, so you actually get too much oxygen. Now, the symptoms can be similar to hypoxia, the main ones being lightheadedness, tingling of your fingers, and maybe even a loss of consciousness. The interesting thing that if you pass out and you stop breathing, your carbon dioxide builds up in your body, and the CO2 or the carbon dioxide oxygen balance returns to normal and you wake up. Now, ideally, you need to understand that your anxiety or nervousness is causing you to breathe rapidly, and you need to take control of it and ensure you don't basically over oxygenate your blood and pass out. Obviously, controlling your breathing would be ideal, but a few other ideas are to breathe into a paper bag, uh, breathe into cup hands, or hold your breath for 10 to 15 seconds at a time. You could purse your lips to slow the air intake in and out of your lungs. But you'll see all these ideas are helping you to avoid putting too much oxygen into your bloodstream. So in essence, hypoxia can show
1: itself in many forms. Cool. Painful is seems to be a common symptom for barotrauma, which I've had personal experience with on planes when you descend or climbing and it seems to be this sort of get this pain in your ear if your sinuses are blocked up, like you have a cold and obviously it's trapped the gas in there. The hyperventilation issue associated with heavy breathing is interesting, like, it's something I didn't know the reason why people put the bag over your face and breathe in and out to like control your breathing. I didn't really know too much about that, so that was good. There are issues to do with depressurization, and let's just talk about how we pressurize and then look at why we might depressurize in the cabin. What you're doing is pilots and the cabin crew and what safety systems are in place for passengers to help you out.
0: Yeah, we get air from the engines or some form of dedicated compressor. The air is conditioned for our comfort and then ultimately exits from the aircraft's fuselage via a valve which releases the air at a controlled rate. By releasing the air out of the cabin slowly and in a controlled manner, we have increased the pressure in the fuselage compared to outside the aircraft and thus we've pressurized the cabin where we're all sitting to a comfortable level so we're able to breathe easily. So you can imagine, this puts a lot of pressure on the fuselage because you're, in essence, you're inflating the fuselage, and therefore there are limits placed upon the fuselage, which dictates how much pressure we can put into the cabin. However, the majority of all aircraft are quite capable of pressurizing their cabins to 8,000 feet, whilst they cruise at an altitude of 40,000 feet. And 8,000 feet seems to be the magic maximum figure, and is sufficient for the majority of the world's population to breathe without. Supplemental oxygen. Just on a
1: note there, most modern aircraft these days being introduced, such as the A350 and 787, are slowly aiming for a, a lower cabin altitude. So, higher pressure in the cabin, which is better for passenger comfort, but an actual lower altitude.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Higher pressure in the cabin means the cabin would be like being a lot lower.
1: So, we've just been talking about, uh, well, we're just about mentioned decompression. Can you classify a decompression?
0: Yeah, there are three categories of decompression. There's explosive decompression where the air escapes very fast out of the fuselage and thus it will escape very fast out of your body. A rapid decompression will also cause a discomfort as the air escapes out of your body. And the last one is a slow or gradual decompression. And this is quite subtle and you probably won't even know you're becoming hypoxic. Now, the worst case scenario for the cabin pressurization is an explosive decompression. Firstly, it is extremely rare. A slow decompression is more likely, but that too is also a rare occurrence. And generally, it's the result of a pressurization system control failure. A rapid decompression could be the result of, say, a panel blowing off an aircraft. And like I say, that's extremely rare. We as pilots have a dedicated and pressurized oxygen masks on the flight deck. So in the unlikely event that we get a rapid decompression, we immediately place these masks on, we check out what the terrain is below us, and we initiate a very quick descent to 10,000 feet or an altitude where we're clear of terrain. During this descent, we will deploy the oxygen masks from above your seat if they haven't already done so through the automatic deployment system, which senses a low cabin pressure. So these masks that deploy from above your head, they produce oxygen. And most systems, the oxygen is actually produced by a chemical reaction. And in the majority of aircraft, they generally produce this oxygen for around 22 minutes. So what happens is when you pull down one of the masks, you're removing a firing pin of the generator, which ignites a mixture of sodium chlorate and iron powder, which sends oxygen straight into the mask. And once you start this process, you can't stop it. The side effect of this chemical reaction is the oxygen generator becomes very hot and you may get a burning smell, which may occur and cause a bit of alarm, uh, but this smell is a normal part of the chemical reaction. So chill out and enjoy a free boost of oxygen. The flight crew's oxygen lasts a lot longer because we legally have to wear our masks anytime the aircraft cabin is above 10,000 feet and there are exemptions for passengers above 10,000 feet. So our oxygen suppliers pipe piped in from a dedicated oxygen cylinder. The good news is that most of the terrain that we fly over in the world is less than 10,000 feet in height, or if it's above this, we can get below it by going off track to find some terrain that's below 10,000 feet. So as pilots, with any decompression, our primary action is to get our oxygen masks on, establish what just happened, and if we can't control it, we initiate an immediate descent to 10,000 feet or higher if it's high terrain around. So we're not going to be talking to you. We're going to be flying the airplane and getting it down as quickly as possible.
1: Basically, as soon as those oxygen masks appear, you want to get them over your mouth immediately. This will then send 100% oxygen into your lungs. And although it's not pressurized, because it's 100% pure, there will be enough oxygen crossing over your membranes in your lungs to oxygenate your uh, bloodstream. So that's good. Now you've got your own mask on, you can help those around you as there is a chance they may not have been as quick as you or simply are not able to put their mask on themselves.
0: Yep, that's a good point. But at least you're operating normally so you can help them because they will very likely start getting the effects of hypoxia.
1: So we have some rough figures here from a table called the time of useful consciousness. And we refer to this as the time available to take positive action to protect yourself from hypoxia should a decompression occur. That is, in essence, how long it would take you to put your mask on to avoid the effects of hypoxia.
0: Yeah, that's uh, true. There is a table around. And uh, for most jets flying around at uh, around 35,000 feet, you have 45 seconds to get that mask on before you start losing the ability to, to probably put it on yourself and a turboprop at say 25,000 feet, you've got about three minutes. So that's called the time of useful consciousness. If you're not sitting, but you're doing activities such as walking up and down the aircraft, you can reduce these figures by about a third as being active consumes more oxygen. All seat rows, they have an extra mask that hangs down. So if you're walking around when they drop, then grab a spare mask. Also the toilets have these drop down masks in them as well. So you've put your mask on and the aircraft has entered into a fairly steep descent. It may be shaking a bit as we will more than likely have pulled out full speed brake. And if possible, we'll probably be going near our maximum speed as this is the quickest way to get the aircraft down into that thick air, which is the same as getting into that high pressure air. Our object is to get you breathing without the use of these masks as soon as possible. You might notice that the cabin crew, they're walking around with portable oxygen bottles. They're checking up on you folk and making sure you're all okay, and they'll report back to us if there's any problems with you. During normal operations, these oxygen bottles also provide supplemental oxygen to passengers suffering from the likes of hypoxia. These folk generally might have an underlying medical condition. That means that they're more susceptible to the reduced oxygen pressure associated with flying quite a lot of people in flight are scared about the possibility
1: of a cabin door being opened in flight accidentally or intentionally by a crazy person, which would cause a a rapid decompressorization. Is there any safety issues in the aircraft to prevent someone from doing, well, opening a door
0: in flight? Yep, that's a good point. You can't open a door in flight intentionally or accidentally, and thus you shouldn't get worried about someone going nuts who's tries to open the door in flight. Basically the aircraft doors are known as plug doors. That is simply that they plug the hole from inside of the cabin. And with a higher pressure inside the cabin than outside, no one would have the strength to overcome the force that is holding the door in place. That's with all the pressure that's being forced on it from the inside. You see the door is actually larger than the airframe itself. And you can think of a sink plug as it's being bigger than the actual hole it covers, and hence the background name to these doors called plug-type doors. You're probably thinking, how can this door, which is bigger than the frame it blocks, how can it actually fit through the doorway after you've opened it? Because most of these types of doors, you first open them inwards before completing the opening process, which generally involves them moving then to an outside of the aircraft mechanically how this works is that the door opens inwards and at the same time it tips a bit downwards and then it rotates on its axis and the axis is in the center of the opening and then it moves out of the gap sideways it can do this because of the way the geometry works so some smart engineering here in essence it's moving in a sideways motion which negates the door being wider than the opening and the tipping of it just helps it fit through the doorway height-wise. So to open them, firstly, we need to move the door inwards. And on the ground, this is not a problem because we've equalized the pressure between inside and outside the cabin. However, in the air, the pressure is much higher on the inside than the outside of the cabin. And to try it open inwards is just impossible because the pressure to pull that door inwards is immense. And it's plugging the hole, you'd have to have some unhumanly force to pull it inwards and start the process. There are additional backups to stop the door being opened in flight as well. And I'll talk about the Boeing 777 system as it's the one I'm familiar with. A lot of aircraft will be similar. It has two backup systems to stop the door being opened in flight. The first one is as the aircraft goes above 80 knots, a mechanical cam prevents the door handle from being moved, physically being moved. There's also another safety feature, and this is a barometric system which senses a pressure differential between the inside and outside, and therefore it just won't even allow the unlocking mechanism to engage. Now, as a pilot, I'm going to get the crazy person who tried to open the door and flight detained upon landing because although they couldn't open the door, there was intent to do so, and we don't need people flying around in airplanes doing this stuff. So if someone loses the plot and tries to open the door in flight, just enjoy the entertainment because there's no chance in the world that the door's going to open. I'm sure that will uh, ease quite a lot of, of uh, viewers. Now, decompression have you
1: ever been a decompressurization?
0: No, I haven't. But I have been in a decompression chamber in the military. I was fortunate enough to have a session there. And as I recall, we were at, uh, I think they did it around 25,000 feet. And uh, you have your masks on, and then the people opposite us—they take their masks off, and they have to write on a bit of paper, uh, counting back from a hundred. They got to take nine away, so they go hundred minus nine is 91, et cetera, etc., etc. And then the guy who's running the decompression chamber—he'll say, "Now touch your nose and point your finger in there and touch your nose." And I'm watching these guys; their writing's all becoming really messy. It's all over the place. They're not touching their nose. It looked quite funny. And then it was my turn. So I take my mask off and start the process. And I thought, yeah, this is pretty easy to do. Feeling a bit lightheaded, feeling quite happy. And I'm touching my nose. I'm doing, well, doing my numbers, touching my nose. And then I'm told to put my mask on. And I had to be told twice. And so I put it on. I'm thinking, yeah, that was easy. I've got the hang of this. And I looked down. My writing was completely messy. The numbers became all erratic. And when I watched the video later, I wasn't touching my nose at all. My hands were all over the place. So it's really interesting how it sneaks up on you. And it was a really good experience. So anytime we have any problems uh, with passengers or, or crew, uh, we treat it as hypoxia because oxygenating the blood is the first step to making sure that you're all right. And it might be a, a, a slow decompression where the pressurization system's failed. But we do have lots of other warnings in the flight deck that tell us, but our primary thing is, first thing, oxygen masks on. Yeah, so just in summary
1: of this episode, as the plane goes up, it means there's going to be less oxygen outside. So we're going to pressurize the fuselage where we are to compensate for the lower oxygen level and lower pressure outside. In the unlikely event of a sudden depressurization, getting those oxygen masks on as soon as possible is the priority. Whilst your flight crew, they'll be doing the same thing. However, their second priority will be descending the aircraft to a level where you can take uh, your masks off safely. So don't be alarmed if you don't hear from them for a few minutes. They're just doing their jobs.
0: Yeah, we'll be quite busy flying the aeroplane and getting uh, getting the problem sorted out as our priority. The aircraft, it is equipped with multiple redundancy systems to prevent a depressurization but in the unlikely scenario where it it has happened there is additional safety equipment for you and the crew are programmed to get the aircraft down quickly in order to return us to an environment where we can breathe without assistance it's a good summary james the next episode what have we got planned for that we're discussing fire detection and extinguishing systems that will be good because there's a, there's quite a few different detection systems on the aircraft and we have other options for extinguishing as well. So we'll have a chat about that. Yeah. So I think that concludes episode 17. So until the next
1: one, I hope you enjoyed, learned something new, and uh, feeling a little less apprehensive about the next time a crazy person tries to open up a door mid-flight. Yeah, they going we'll to see jail. Jail time. Yeah.
0: yeah. No worries. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, well. Well good chatting. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.